Um, we're starting a brand new series today, and um, it's called Mine, 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 Learning to Let Go. And um, my subtitle today is uh, Stewardship 101, and we're going to talk about what stewardship is in our lives. And so I'm going to start us off with a story. This is a true story from one of the Butterball Turkey Company hotline representatives um, shared this, and I, I found this story. So um, a couple years ago, there was this hotline set up for Butterball Turkey. P anybody that had questions regarding the holiday turkey celebration, how do they cook the turkey, what do they do with it, how do they, what temperature do you need to make sure it's at? And this woman called into this hotline inquiring about how to cook uh, a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. <laughs> okay? And the representative said, um, and, and this is one of those moments where if you're answering a hotline phone like that, you're like, you want every, all the other rep people answering phones to kind of come gather around you. So they, they gathered everybody. They're like, hey, this lady's had a turkey for 23 years in her freezer. So people came around. One of the managers came over. And the lady said, do you think it would be safe to eat this turkey? And the representative from Butterball says, um, what do you think? What do you think? Um, that it, it might be okay, but but we don't know. Has it been kept below zero like for all 23 years? Has electricity ever gone off where it might have gone bad? Is there any potential that it went below? So she says, yep, I, has it been below zero for 23 years straight? And the lady goes, I think so. And then she goes, I think so. And then they're going back and forth. And finally, they said, well, tell the lady that most likely the flavor is going to be gone. After 23 years of sitting in your freezer, the flavor is just going to be not there, and we would not recommend eating it. And um, so that's what they told the lady on the phone. The representative got back on and said, we would not recommend eating it because, you know, the flavor's gone, and it could, it might not be good at all. And the lady on the phone, this is true, she said, that's what we thought, We'll just give it to the church. <laughs> I know. So when I say stewardship, most people think give to the church. And hopefully you're not thinking about 23-year-old turkeys, but, but stewardship I think is probably one of the mi most misunderstood words in the church today, we immediately think of giving money. And I want you to know stewardship is so much more than money. And that's what we want to talk about during this series. Series. So a few, few years ago, actually seven, eight years ago, my daughter Haven, which she went to camp last week, um, she was three years old and I took her to this restaurant called Jasmine's. And I took her on a, like, a lunch date. And so there she was, this three-year-old little girl, and we're just chatting about life and what her, she loved to do and her friends from church, and we're sitting there chatting, and the food order came, and they delivered her food before mine. And so we prayed together, and then all of a sudden, I said amen, and she starts eating her fries and dipping them in ketchup, and they look so appetizing that I said, I want a couple fries. I didn't say that to her. 
I just took my fingers and started going for her french fries. And as I went for her french fries, she did something, I'll never forget it, she goes, around her plate, no dad, mine, mine. And it was like, um, it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm so glad that I've taught my daughter to share. <laughs> you know, it was one of those moments, uh, it, it was like, um, I was Geronimo, and, or she was, uh, I, I was Geronimo and about to pillage everything that she had owned. She was um, just really Geronimo and, oh, forget it. Custer making her last stand. Okay, that's what I was trying to say. No, Dad, mine! Mine! And so often, that is our approach. And I remember thinking, oh, sweetie, I'm like 50 times bigger than you. I, I could take a couple french fries if I wanted to, but, and, and you know, it's always nice to see your kids freely sharing the way they've freely received, being good stewards of what their daddy has given them. And I think God feels the same way sometimes. The meaning and application of what it means for us to be stewards is taught all the way through Scripture, starting in Genesis and going all the way through the book of Revelation. Jesus talks more about stewardship than he does heaven or even prayer. So what's the meaning of stewardship, John? Um, being a brilliant researcher, I looked up on the Webster Dictionary online and I found out that stewardship is the responsibility of managing someone else's assets affairs, or property in a careful and responsible way. Stewardship is overseeing something that isn't yours. Being a steward, is a, it's an old English word for the word manager. Uh, it literally, it was used more as like a house guardian um, a long time ago. But steward is that idea of being a manager. But to really understand stewardship, what it's really about, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis 1-1. Here is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first principle of stewardship is this, that God owns everything. God owns everything. Uh, he owns the oranges in the orange groves, and he owns the trees in the orange groves, and he owns the oranges on the trees, and he owns the juice inside of the oranges. Okay? So like God owns everything. He owns every plant, every rock, every animal, everything. So Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So why does God have a claim over all the earth? Because God is the creator. God made it all. God created it. But more than just creating it, God sustains it. So the Bible tells us in Colossians 1.17 that Christ holds all things together. And I want to show you that text because it's a beautiful text. Here is, um, we'll start in verse uh, 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made everything, he made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. 
He existed before anything else. And then at the very end, he holds all creation together. Not only creator, but sustainer. Now just because God created and sustains it all doesn't mean that it's being used the way that God intended the earth to be used, right? Good example, just look at human beings in our lives. Do they line up for the intention that God has made them for? And we can say as a community, hopefully our hearts are constantly being pulled in that direction, but does larger society? And you have to answer that saying, mm, no, we don't think so. It doesn't look like it. Are we living the purposes that we've been created? Uh, hopefully we can say yes, right? But larger society, it's a, it's a big no. When you walk through the creation account in Genesis 1, you know that after each day of creation, God looked what he made at what he made and said, it's good. It's good. This is good. He made the sky. This is good. He made the oceans. This is good. He made the mountains. This is good. He made animals. This is good. He made all the plants. This is good. Then at the end of the sixth day, he said it's very good. The New Living Translation says it's excellent in every way. What happened, guys? What happened on the sixth day? Humanity was created. Human beings. Humanity made all the difference. But why? Why did, why was it good, it's good, it's good, and then God says, you know what, this is very good. Human beings, he created human beings, he said, this is very good. Why? What made us stand apart from our, the rest of creation? Why are we different? So here is Genesis 1, 26. This is probably the most famous painting of the Trinity. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. We've been made to be like, to have the character of God. Are we perfect? No, but look at the incredible ability we have, for example, to create. God's a creator, and he made us to be creative. So when I go to a museum, and I see a famous painting, a Rembrandt, if I see a Picasso, I see a Van Gogh, do you know how I can know the painter, the artist? You could say I can kind of tell by the fingerprints, you could say, on, on that painting, by the way that they painted it. You can tell who the artist is. When I go, I, go, I, I really love to go camping and backpacking when I can. Um, sometimes I just like to go for a little walk outside. And I stare at the mountains, and I look at the, just, the, just our landscape here in Southern California, and I say, God, you're so good. And there's part of, you just look at creation, you look at the stuff around us, and it just like helps your heart point to God, doesn't it? You see that God's fingerprints on, this, on the landscape itself. But within humanity, God put more than a fingerprint. He put his very image inside of us. So we are also different from the rest of creation in not only that God placed his image inside of us, but that we have a different job description than the rest of humanity. And so verse 28 says this. God blessed them and said to them, 
talking to man and woman. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Because that's the only command that humans have ever been able to keep. <laughs> Sorry. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over, rule over the fish in the, the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. And then I want to continue in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took ma the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. Why did God make humans? What's, what's the purpose? Now, ultimately, we know that God created us to have communion and fellowship and relationship with his creation. To actually have intimacy with human beings. Ob to be objects of his love and have intimacy and connection. But the Bible also says that God made us to be fruitful and multiply. And then he spells out five other things here in Genesis 1 and 2. He says, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, work it, and care for it. And even to this day, God expects us to live this out as if this were central to our job description. It's part of, so we are created unique, and God says, this is, this is very very good. This is excellent in every way because they bear my image and they have a different job description. Here's the job description based off Genesis 1 and 2. And the title of that job description co really comes down to one word, management. God created humans to be managers of creation and actually that's the second principle. We are made to oversee what God owns. We're made to oversee what God owns. In fact, this was God's very first commandment given to humanity, to be managers of the earth. God made humans his junior partners. Care for the earth. Look after it. Rule over it. But one of our core problems as human beings, uh, at, at even as Christians, if you've given your life to Jesus, is that we forget our job description and pretty soon we start to think that we own it. Have you been there? I have been many times. Uh, there was a family living in a home in West Palm Beach, Florida. And they told a film crew that it was okay to use their front lawn for an episode of B.L. Stryker. Do you remember that? Uh, in 1989. Basically, it was one of those, like, blow-up shows. Everything blew up all the time, like the... I loved it actually as a kid. Um, but, but in their front yard, there was, there was going to be big crashes and fire and explosions, okay? And they were like, go for it. We'd love to have that. So while the front yard is being blown up, the owner of the home called from New York demanding to know what was happening to their house. Yeah, the tenants were under the mistaken impression that the house belonged to them, right? They thought, well, we're living there, so we can make these decisions. Guess what? Only the owner can make that call, right? Right? When your yard's being blown up. But we have a tendency to think that we own it. Even as a pastor, I'm aware of how Peter clarifies my role in 1 Peter 5.2. He just says, be an overseer. 
of God's blood. I don't own anything. It's all God's. It's all God's. We try to play, trade places with God. We start acting like we are the owners as if we created the world. We start using words like my and mine and my life and my plans and my possessions and my time. And the question is, who gave you all of that? Who gave you all that? The ultimate control in any business always resides in the owner, not the manager. Always resides with the owner, not the manager. We get to use it. We get to manage it. We get to use some of the resources. But God owns it, and that's stewardship. It's a fundamental shift in our brains. That's stewardship. So I want to look at Genesis 1.28 again, where God said, rule over everything. Uh, the NRSV says, you will have dominion over everything. Have dominion. Not only rule, but this strong, like, you have dominion over it. God's intention was for humans to rule over things, but what happens? We get all mixed up in our brokenness, and things rule over us. We're possessed by our possessions. The very things that we're asked to manage overthrow our lives. We, they control, start to control us. Don't they? Because we love to think about all the things that we own. But truth is, we don't really own anything. At best, they're on loan from God. At very best, they're just on loan from God. And after we die, we're just going to pass them on, right? To somebody else. Have you ever seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse? <laughs> Have you ever I haven't. You know why? Because you don't own any of it. You can't take it with you, right? We own none of it. It's all just loaned to us. So, John, what are the benefits or the blessings of being a wise steward, um, of being a good manager? As we manage it, guess what? We get to actually enjoy it. We get to use it. And actually, God is pleased when we manage the resources that God has given to us. God's pleased. It's part of our job description. And not only that, the Bible teaches us that the more faithful we are in managing what God has uh, given to us, what he's blessed us with, the more God entrusts to us. Here is Matthew 25, 23. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Personally, I think the best benefit from being a good steward is freedom from the weight of stuff. Freedom from the weight of stuff. I'm not, since I'm not the owner, it's like I don't have to hoard, count, protect. Do you know how often humanity is hoarding, counting, protecting? Hoarding, counting, protecting. It's almost like their life revolves. If they're possessed by the possessions, that's so often people's lives. Hoard, count more. See how many more we added over the last couple months. But guess what? We've been talking about since the new year, we've been talking about this idea of just having open hands. And what happens if we have open hands to God and to our neighbors? 
That becomes a beautiful thing. There's this freedom. There's new freedom when we realize it's not our stuff anyway. We're just, just being a manager of it. There are also future benefits. The Bible teaches us that there will be rewards in eternity based off of how we manage what God entrusts to us here on this earth. To be faithful with your life and gifts and time and talents, treasures, every area of your life, there's a reward for that. Now you'd say, John, that sounds really good. And you're saying, what am I to be a steward of then? John, what am I specific? John, be really specific. What specifically is God talking about here? And let me give you the answer. You are a steward of absolutely everything that God has entrusted to you. Everything. Okay? Everything. So this is where it goes way beyond just our finances. And you have to remember that stewardship is all of life. Did God give you a physical body? The answer is yes. Then stewardship involves sexual purity, physical fitness, nutrition. Did God give you every single day of our lives, every minute? Then stewardship involves time management. Did God give you financial resources? Then stewardship involves money management and financial planning and financial giving. Did God give you material possessions? Then stewardship involves sharing and lending and giving and caring for others through that. Did God give you a family? Then stewardship involves caring for them and loving them. Did God give you a soul? Then stewardship involves connecting with God, worship, being responsible for your spiritual growth in life. Did God give us an environment that we live in? Then stewardship involves ecology and caring for the earth. Did God give you a position of authority and prominence and responsibility? Then stewardship involves using your... Uh, your influence for good in our community. Everything, absolutely everything, every area of my life comes under the concept of stewardship. So there was a deacon in a church in Boston, and he was this really shy guy. He, in prayer meetings, he could not get himself to pray publicly ever his whole life. It's like he, he was such an introvert that he just couldn't do it. Uh, he tried to serve in other places. He tried to be a greeter um, at the, you know, just as, as people were coming in. He just couldn't get himself. He couldn't stretch his, his heart to do that. And so he said, I can do something, though. And he, he made a decision. He said, I want to be a steward of what God has given to me. And he said, I can put two extra plates on my dining room table every Sunday and invite young college men who are far away from home to break bread in my home. He said, I can do that. And he did that for 30 years. Every Sunday, he invited, he had, um, sometimes he couldn't find two guys, but almost every week, he just invited two young college guys over to, to break bread, have, have lunch together. Well, after 30 years of doing this, this man, uh, and actually many of the men that joined him found faith in Jesus just through that relationship and through sitting down and having a meal together. And after 30 years of doing this, this man, he, he died. He was buried in Andover, which is about 30 miles away from the church. And the church decided to charter one car train. Okay. So one train, one car train, uh, to help their members get there. 
And as the train was ready to take off, 150 men showed up and crammed into that one car because this man learned to be a steward of all his resources and everything that God had given to him. He, they, they were there showing up in honor of a guy that offered them a plate of food like for 30 years. This was his way of being a steward of what God had given him. He was a steward of his time, his talents, his home, his finances. Okay, stewardship is not trivial. It is central to why we're created and put on this earth. Stewardship is a foundational principle for life, and it's a foundational principle for living a faithful Christian life. God intends for his resources to be used and not wasted, and stewardship means using it wisely. Stewardship can change everything for us. All of a sudden, we see how important it is in God's eyes. Suddenly, you find yourself asking questions like, God, how can I best use the time that you've given me? You start asking yourself, God, how do I best use the resources that you've given to me? God, how do I best use the talents that you have given to me? God, how do I best use the home that you've given to me? God, how do I best use my career or business that you've given to me? It changes everything, doesn't it? opens up a whole other set of questions that we most of us never thought about asking ourselves. So let me give you a couple practical tips today. Here's the first one. When you get all mixed up and things begin to rule over you, you become possessed by your possessions. Give something symbolic away. And I want you to know I've had to do this many times in my life. Things that I, like, things that I tend to hoard um, or I like to hold on to, I've, I've made choices to, like, let them go. Okay, so I, I, have, I have, like, a hundred strategy board games. Who can have a hundred strategy board games? But when that stuff starts, and my wife's rolling her eyes at me down here. <laughs> but, but there's been moments where I'm like, if that holds too much of a grip in my heart and life, I give one away, and I have. My wife's like, you need to give a lot more away. <laughs> Um, or power tools, or whatever, you name it. What are those things for you? Like, I'm also a book person. Did I, I don't know if I shared you. I'll share it anyway. Did I share the book story? Yeah. I'll just share it really quickly. So I collect books. I collect old books. And what, there's this old book on my shelf. It's a Fox's Book of Martyr. It's about 230 years old on my shelf. And it was my prized possession. I would take it off and let people look at it. I wouldn't even let them open it beyond, like, cracking it open. It was my prized, leather-bound, gorgeous, beautiful book. And um, I just remember thinking it, it was like, uh, like uh, Gollum. My precious. It, <laughs> it just started to grip my heart. And you know what I had to do? I knew that I had to give it away. And it was really difficult. Like, I, when I gave it away, I'm, like, still holding onto the binding, thinking they're not going to care for it like I'm going to care for it. They're not going to treat it with respect like, like I would. I, and I didn't want, and yet I knew that I had to break that thing over my life. So when you start become, when you become possessed by your possessions, give something symbolic away. 
So for you, it could be your technology, or it could be whatever. What is it for you, okay? Number two, don't let your stuff rule you. Okay, don't let your stuff rule over you. Number two, think about how you can be a better steward. Just, what if we're just a little more open, just like blended things more? We kept open hands, gave an uncomfortable amount away, etc. Whatever that is for you, how do you push in to being a better steward with your things that God's entrusted you with? How do you do that? So, Practice by doing something that you've never done before. And number three, you are to be a good steward of absolutely everything God has entrusted to you. Identify an area of stewardship that the Holy Spirit is calling you to move forward in and make a plan. And then work that plan. Now, every one of us, we normally, when we see this question, we instantly go to whatever we think we should do. And I want you guys to actually say, Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? What are your thoughts here? Push into God's thoughts for you instead of your own thoughts. And a lot of times it's very different than what you think you should do. So ask the Holy Spirit that. What's an area that you're calling me to move forward in? So it could be your physical body. It could be a family. It could be finances. It could be time management. It could be soul care. Find one that the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you and move forward in that one, okay? And after you choose an area, what is one action that you can take this week? What's one action that you can actually step into this week with that one area, okay? So why don't we all stand? We're going to sing this song. Why don't we have our prayer ministry team and as they're coming up, if you're here this morning, I think one of the most basic ways that you can be a steward of what God has given to us is by actually saying, God, here I am. I give you my life. I give you all that I am. God, I I, I want to be friends with you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, and I've really messed up into myself, and I need your grace and activation in my life. And so this is maybe the most basic way that you can start to step into stewardship is saying, I give you my life. I give you where I am. And I give you my whole future. And so if you want to do that, and, you know, sometimes we can sit in church for sometimes years, and it's the Holy Spirit says, this is your time. Like, step in. Step into that relationship. And really, what it's all about is to go to heart change. It's about going from our own vision to following Jesus. And so if you want to do that, I just want you to say this prayer after you my life, I give you all that I am, I made a ton of mistakes, I hurt myself, I hurt people around me, and God, first of all, I, I hurt you, I ask you to forgive me, and set me free, I invite you into my life, I give you all that I am, and all that where I'm going, 
this day I commit to follow you. I commit my life into your hands. And I want to be a steward of the soul you've given me. I want to be a steward of my time here in this earth for what is most important first. So God, I want to develop my Thank you. 